Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. We are back on Talking Comics, and of course, here with Steve, Bob, and Stephanie. But joining us is writer of Batman, Scott Snyder. Scott, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again, man. Of course. Well, I was looking up today. It's been about 13 months since we talked to you last time. <laughs> so a lot has happened in those 13 months. Yeah, too long, too long since I spoke to you. I'm glad that we could do it. It's fun because... Uh, I was saying, I feel like I used to be able to just call in off the cuff to podcasts and, you know, mm-hmm. sites that I read and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm on a bit more of a, um, you know, being a little bit more um, sort of, uh, you know, DC, uh, you know, employee now. I think I, they they're, have to be a bit more um, measured because they're, they're really interesting and I think great ways that they set out with publicity that really are, you know, are mm-hmm. very effective and all that stuff. But long story short, it's harder to be able to do this kind of thing. So I'm really excited to do it. <laughs> well, we're really excited yeah, to you. have you here. Um, you know, the three of us here uh, are from Long Island and we just went through that big <laughs> blizzard. How did you, uh, how'd you make out in that blizzard? Oh, horribly. And we were like, <laughs> I just tweeted a picture. I was like, my driveway was just buried with like three feet all the way for about 15. We have a long driveway. So it was just <laughs> miserable. And I, I'm like, I'm one of those idiots that just every winter is like, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to buy a snowblower, you know, and, and when it gets warmer and then I don't. And so it was me and a shovel and, <sighs> but it got me out of the house and but, you know, I got into, uh, I definitely got some exercise, but it was a long and arduous road to clear the driveway. <laughs> yeah. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, I live out in a town called Medford, and we got the most, we got like 33 inches here. Yeah, I used to live in Corum. Oh, really? Me too. Yeah. There you go. We're like neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was it was pretty bad out here. Um, and I actually had to, I uh, my kind of day job is I do like wedding uh, videography, and we actually had a wedding the day after the blizzard. Oh man! Oh man! Yeah, so we had and to go out. They went through with it. They went through with it. They went through with it. Yeah. Uh, right. uh, and they didn't it... get cold feet. Oh, Whoa. Oh. Oh. oh boy! Sorry. Oh Excellent. boy! <laughs> you, you, had, the you, had, you had a great video of it, though. You showed me what they were doing. Yeah, you had a lot of fun out of the event. So that's what we did. That's what I did the day after the blizzard. But pretty much you know, the rest of the time, just kind of trying to stay safe and warm. Um, anybody have any eventful stories? From the I blizzard? still have no driveway. That's true. My driveway. <laughs> um, I live above a uh, couple of restaurants and a yoga place and stuff, and they plowed the front, but they did not plow the parking lot. Nice. So mm. I have to park on the side of the building, up on the snow, and just I guess wait for it to melt mm-hmm. or <laughs> you know send in a, a complaint of some sort. <laughs> but uh, it was fun to to shovel. I love how. I shoveled a pathway. I uh, wound up getting no heat for a couple of days during during the storm, and the oil people. I 
spend about two hours shoveling out a pathway to get to the oil thing, and then a plow comes along and completely yeah. pushes all the snow into <laughs> the two hours of work that I had done yeah. and blocked it off all over again. And I was just like, you know, fist waving in the air, like, curse you! I think they actually get a bit of a sick joy from that. They're oh, like, they totally do. They they drive by real slow. They're like, heh, heh, heh. <laughs> My real problem with this storm is, as, as a... As a the phrase in Yiddish or German is Alta Cocker. I'm an old man now. And when I was 10, 12, I shoveled old people's driveways for comic book money. <laughs> and now that I'm the old man, where are the kids? Where's someone to shovel out my gosh darn driveway? I've had it. Yeah, they where? always come along after I'm done. Yeah, nice. yeah there's a half an inch of snow there. And it's like, oh, we'll do it now. You go away. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the storm. I'm sure people who are listening are like, talk about batman so uh yeah. so everybody knows um you know we're gonna be delving into kind of spoiler territory here so if you haven't read batman 17 you probably don't want to to listen yeah. yet if, but if you haven't read batman 17 come on go read batman yeah, 17 what planet are you on yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's just get the the big thing out of the way right away so the conclusion uh of death of the family you know you defied a lot of expectations with it and you know chiefly the belief by a lot of people that you were going to kill someone you know, and, you know, this is kind of, we had a couple of listener questions in here about this as well, you know, asking us, you know, from uh, uh, the Nick nerd about, you know, killing members of the family. And kind of the first part of the question is, did you ever think about, uh, you know, killing any member of the family that was ever on the table? Or was oh, it? sure. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely thought about it. I mean, you know, part of, part of the, um, the dilemma with a story like this is that, you know, Joker tends to leave a big physical scar, you know, when it comes to death in the family or, um, you know, a uh, uh, killing joke and that stuff. And so these big stories that that you you know you can't kind of touch the hem of, you know, at least for me, I mean, I never expect to write something that's going to stand beside those books. But the things that you um, are inspired by have that sort of um, that level of consequence. And of course, you know, I definitely I thought about whether or not to kill Alfred or I thought about whether or not to, to kill any of the characters or to mutilate some of them at times. And <laughs> we ran through a whole kind of ghoulish, I think, gamut. At least I did it in my mind. But um, at the end of the day, what it really boiled down to was that for me, um, the scars meant to be um, something psychological and, and deep. And, you know, I, I hope I hope that came across. I mean, there, there are things that... Um, for me, I think are evident about what Bruce is thinking and feeling just because I kind of live with him so much that, you know, I hope, I hope we're communicated. And I know that, um, at least from some of the things I saw that, you know, some people, um, gotten and if other people didn't or didn't like, I totally understand. And that's, you know, my bad. But, um, what I was going for was essentially this notion that, um, not so much that Joker did something, um, in the dark or off panel or something like that, that, that upset the family. And if I, I gave that, um, impression, you know, it wasn't quite what I was going for as much as yes, he definitely, um, he definitely sort of terrorized them in that regard. But what I was looking for more was that he proved in some way to all of them, um, that Bruce, um, or Batman to him, cause he doesn't understand Bruce, um, doesn't trust them the way he should and does have a complicated relationship with, with him, with the Joker that, um, goes far beyond the boundaries any of them are comfortable with, you know, as proven hopefully by that flashback at the very end so that, you know, he didn't tell them about Alfred being kidnapped and he didn't tell them about sort of the level of, um, horror he felt from the Joker at the beginning. And he, he keeps 
um, you know, from from pretty much uh, most of them, what he thinks I think the Joker is, is up to with the card and everything. Um, and he says, I'm doing this to protect you. Um, but the Joker says you're doing it because you love me more. And I think what it boils down to is that Bruce makes decisions that put the family at risk, even though he's doing what a father might do in terms of trying to protect the family or somebody with a particular point of view as a father would do. And in that way, I think he he does display in front of them and in front of the Joker um, a, a sense of, of, of something that they can call betrayal, you know. And that's what I was looking for. But it, it's really, it's not so much about the repercussions, honestly, with the, the family. There are big repercussions, and they are going to be um, really upset and angry at Bruce for a long time in that way. But it's really, for me, about Bruce and the Joker more than anything. And um, one of, the, one of the, the things I was trying to get across, and I hope it came across, was that the death of the family as a title refers also to the kind of the family that Joker has been saying is, is Batman's from the beginning, which is the him and the rogues. You know, he keeps saying, well, I'm your family. You know, this is your real royal family. This is your court. And those guys are the fakers. So when Batman decides, I think, in 17 to allow Joker to, to pretty much to die, he's saying this is the end of that family. You know what I mean? In that way, too. So that, that was my intention. I hope that makes sense in explanation now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It makes sense. It's, it's interesting because one of our one of our listeners, actually, we did a kind of a Batman number 17. What do you think feature on our site that just let kind of readers of the site, you know, sound off uh, about that. And we had a, a reader actually write in about that very fact that the death of the family is also about his kind of relationship with the Joker and uh, with the villains. And, you know, it was something that we didn't talk about. And it's great to hear you know, you bring that up. Um, well, in some ways, I mean, there are things also, you know, comics being monthly, like you do your best to get ahead and have, I had a lot of time with this one where I, I built in a lot of time to look it over, over and over and over and over. But there are always things you go back and you realize, you know, I hope, I know it's in there, but I hope it's in there more strongly. And so when we get to trade, um, there are things that I'll try and sharpen in that way. Nothing I'll change in terms of the meaning of it or in terms of, um, what I was going for, but just things like that, that, you know, are easy to sort of emphasize in different ways, just in case, you know, looking over, they could be sharpened in some way, but that's what I was going for. And in terms of, um, in terms of, um, this discussion, I guess, about whether he should have, um, killed him or not. I mean, I hope, I hope what comes across is that, um, you know, Bruce, the thinking there is that he has Joker over a drop that he knows would, would kill him, you know, and, um, or that, or he he really shouldn't be able to survive, and he shouldn't be able to survive the tunnels beneath. But Batman, um, because he has a rule that I really believe, and I know people might feel differently, but I really believe he he should not break that rule for the Joker, even though the Joker says here, "I win by you not breaking it." You know, I do feel deeply that the Joker would would actually win by getting that exceptional treatment and that he himself wants to be killed by the, by Batman in some way, because it makes him that special that he would be the only person. And so to do that as horrible as it sounds, I think would be giving into him, but more deeply would be giving into Gotham. Um, because in a lot of ways, I guess, and sorry if I'm rambling, but, um, my, my feeling really is that what I'm writing the most about, I guess, in my run or the thing that interests me the most is, the relationship between um, Bruce Wayne and Gotham City, and that I think he understands at this point that if he did kill the Joker, it would be a failure um, to the city. It would be that the city puts you through these trials that you 
have to face kind of your worst nightmares. And if you come out of those nightmares, you know, and you defeat them um, the right way, I think you become, you know, some of the greatest heroes in the world. And that's why Gotham's such a wonderful place and Batman's like the greatest hero <laughs> ever because the city itself, itself is kind of a trial by fire. And to take the easy way out and kill him, I think Gotham would punish him by sending Joker back even worse or sending back somebody who would immediately kill and maim just as many people from go and then test that exact same limit. I mean, that's what Gotham would do if I was writing it. So if you if he killed the Joker, I would punish him terribly in the next issue. So <laughs> the idea that I was going for, <laughs> and I hope it comes across, and I, luckily I saw you know, some people saying it, was that um, what he's, he's trying to do is he's holding him over this drop that's essentially going to kill him. But he himself isn't going to let him go because that would mean breaking his rules. So he's playing a joke on him. Um, a joke that will kill him, will make the Joker kill himself almost, where he's leaning in to tell him, I know who you are, even though he doesn't really know. Mm -hmm. And he goes closer and closer and closer until the Joker he knows is going to push him away. And so the Joker shocks him and pushes him away. And I made kind of a decision at the last minute to have Bruce say no, because I wanted him to, <laughs> to almost regret it for a split second in that kind of twisted way. Mm -hmm. I hope, I mean, but I understand that, 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 that's the kind of thing maybe in trade I'll I'll tweak so that it doesn't seem like he's actually mistake like he like he didn't um, want it to happen overall. You know, I meant it as a kind of I don't know. I meant it as a nod to how kind of twistedly attached he is to the Joker. But if it was confusing, I understand. But anyway, that was the intention: was that he found his way of kind of doing the Joker and and not breaking his rule by playing a joke on the Joker that would force the Joker to sort of make him let go of him over the falls that would likely kill him. Hmm. Does that make sense? Do you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, <laughs> and you weren't rambling. We were here to talk to you. You're the one who's supposed yeah. to be talking the most. So we want to hear what, what you think about it, obviously. Um, Stephanie, we had a question kind of about the inspiration behind the story, right? From uh, Steve Empire, I believe. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, I was reminded in Death of the Family of Morrison's Arkham Asylum, uh, as in both Joker disagrees or sorry, disregards Batman's true face. And uh, he wants to know if Arkham Asylum was an inspiration for you in this arc. Yeah, I mean, I love that story. And Grant is a huge inspiration to me, both as a as a mentor and as a as somebody who whose work I've admired, you know, my whole life, my whole adult or, you know, not even adult, my whole sort of literate life. Um, so definitely, you know, and um I love I love what's brought up in that book, and I love the notion that Arkham is sort of a place that Batman belongs because he's crazy, and you know. And I love Grant's take on the Joker that um, from the Clown at Midnight, which is that he you know reinvents himself all the time with this kind of hyper sanity um, that he has. And so he's been a huge influence to me, both as somebody who um, it's been an honor to be able to tell my my stories to, and um, even get you know. Um, um, a response from, uh, yeah, and, and, and just as somebody whose work I have always admired for its fearlessness and boldness and, and all that stuff. So specifically, yeah, that book is a big influence, you know, and, and we, we tried to kind of make an homage to it in 16 with some of the art with him walking in and, and stuff to the, to the, um, Mc, beautiful McKean stuff and all of it. But, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely an influence. We tried to, we tried to sort of pull from a lot of the DNA of, I mean, the DNA of the story has a lot of, you know, a lot of um, different Joker stories in the past and that's definitely one. Cool. I mean, yeah. And, uh, Repstone's question actually, Stephanie kind of curtails from that too, if you want to ask that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, 
uh, our one of our listeners, Repstones, he wanted to know which Joker arc in the entire Batman canon, aside from obviously Death of the Family, do you think captures the essence of the Clown Prince? It's hard because I think every time you 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 um, pick the characters up, you try and do something different than anything that that's come before, so that you know you're very aware of your Joker needing to be different in some way. Or my my Bruce, you know, for me is different. Um, but it's largely inspired by, you know, Paul Dini and, um, Frank Miller and all these guys that, um, you know, are, are incredibly, um, important in the kind of constellation of things that made me want to write in the first place. But for me, I guess the ones that come closest, I guess, are, um, are probably, uh, the killing joke obviously is, you know, was something that was a huge influence on me both as a, as a kid when I read it and now. Um, and that Joker is interesting to me. Um, I think, you know, the dark, the Joker and, um, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns is, is really, really close and probably oddly enough, like one of the biggest influences or the one I might put above, above those was the, the Joker in, um, uh, both the animated series and the, specifically in the Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond is one of my absolute favorite all time interpretations of the Joker. So who's so sorely disappointed when he finds out that Batman is Bruce Wayne <laughs> and stuff. I love that story that that um, just knocked me over when I first saw it, and I've watched it a lot of times since. I just adore it. Um, well, speaking of uh, the villains a bit, another reader, comic book addict, he wanted to know, having created an original villain and then after using an existing and iconic villain, which was easier for you to write? And I'll add on to that as well. Which one did you enjoy working on more? It's it's really hard to answer because both were incredibly enjoyable. I think I was probably more um, the t the different concerns are when you're writing a new villain. I'm constantly terrified that they're gonna not be worthy of you know fighting <laughs> of fighting Batman or appearing in a comic that Batman's in. So there's that kind of anxiety with it, and and trying your big concern is building them to a degree that they feel I think justified at even stepping foot in Gotham. And using Joker, it's the exact opposite. You know, it's the inverse where you're so incredibly intimidated by the great stories that have been told with the character that it comes kind of with that whole neurotic um, <laughs> um, element. So I guess I wouldn't really say that I enjoy. I, I'm not trying to cop out. I just there wasn't one that I enjoyed more than the other. I think they each have um, their own incredible rewards and challenges. I guess you know. And are you kind of looking to? I mean, obviously we don't we don't want to pry on yeah. anything but are you looking to kind of vent more is there more you know villains you want to bring to the universe in the future or are you not looking more to kind of play with the the toy box of all the great rogues that already exist oh both definitely the next big story we're doing you know you're going to see some of your i think favorite rogues <laughs> um hopefully um some of my favorite rogues at least and then you'll also see characters that are new you know in there mixed in and um so Hopefully a bit of both, you know. I mean, right now I'm having some fun playing with, um, playing with the rogues because um, the Court of Owls was just so, um, you know, it was it was such a big undertaking to create um, um, a bunch of a sort of a new character with a new mythology and then all the sort of subsequent characters. So, um, but I think after the next big one, I'll probably go back to to doing that. This one has a mix. The next big one has a mix with definitely one of my favorite rogues featured <laughs> in a big way. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And you were, you were talking about before about, you know, your Bruce, but you know, when you're writing, how do you kind of balance, you know, 
where Bruce ends and where Batman begins? Is there a difference? You know, a lot of times, especially in this book, you have kind of Bruce, like almost, Batman almost talking to Bruce, you know, and how do you kind of balance their two personalities in a lot of ways? And in the same token, how do you kind of balance the detective aspects of the character with the more action oriented uh, aspects of the character? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, for me, um, I think it it changed. It's changed over time, like the way that I saw, I see Bruce and Batman. I mean, I think with um, with when I started, you know, with Bruce at least after doing Detective, um, I was more um, I leaned more towards the the idea that Batman is the true person and that um, Bruce Wayne is the mask, and then. I was trying to write Court of Owls so that he was kind of coming out of his shell as Bruce and then sort of punished in some way for that. But um, uh, it became, I guess, more and more um, difficult to, to, to make Bruce not this major part of who he really is. And, and the fact that um, Bruce Wayne can do so much good in Gotham City and does more than just be this kind of... Um, you know, playboy. I mean, I, I, I kind of thought I would write him that way where he was, oh, you know, he's still just sort of a, a mask and a playboy and that stuff. And then as soon as I, I got my hands on him and started the court of owl story, it was just, it wasn't interesting to me that way. And I realized that my version of him is someone who's trying, who's struggling very hard to make both sides matter. Um, and that's a lot of what the next big story is about too, in some ways, you know, I mean, my, my take on, my take on it really is that, um, you know, he need Bruce Wayne uh, is is very important to um, both Gotham and to the psychology of Batman as as both because of the legacy of his parents and living up to to that sort of um, that example and that's again something we'll be touching on soon just the notion that his parents were heroes you know in Gotham that they his father was a doctor when he you know didn't have to be and 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 his mother was a philanthropist and they they really got their hands dirty and tried to make Gotham a better place with a public face on it, you know? And so to be a vigilante with no, with no sort of public, um, no sort of public altruism or anything, um, um, uh, that you're actively doing to make the city better as a Wayne seems in some way like a slight to that sort of that, you know, that heritage. So for me, it's really been about trying to write stories that, um, have a balance of those things where one of the things that's interesting to me is how he's figuring out how to be both, you know? And, um, for, it really is that I guess in some ways that, uh, Bruce for me is, is he's someone who uses Batman as a way of, um, he, he sort of embraces the madness of what Batman is to stop from falling into a kind of, um, a deeper sort of despair and insanity. So he kind of embraces that duality of Batman and Bruce Wayne as a way of not sort of, um, self-destructing, but Bruce Wayne is a, is a crucial part of that. I mean. Do you know what I mean? That 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 sort of that binary relationship between the two of them is what keeps him from be, from self destructing. So, yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know I mean? completely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and the second part of the question is just about you know the balancing of the detective aspects of the character and kind of the action oriented aspects of the book. Yeah, well, I think for that it's more just that I think um, I have it kind of ingrained in my head just like how much fun it's always been to read Batman and have some badass stuff happen every issue <laughs> so i try and balance it so that um there's like a healthy dose of what bruce is going through emotionally and and a certain kind of i guess um psychological and emotional um depth to it you know and and darkness and 
and detective work on a, on a dark case and all that kind of stuff. But then at the same time, I try and put something in every issue where you see a new gadget or he has an awesome fight or <laughs> there's some kind of fun fanboy moment just mm-hmm. because for me, that element is also kind of quintessential Batman, you know, the fun James Bond kind of element to it too. So it's just, I don't know. It's something it, it, um, I try and keep in the front of my front of my brain to, to try and make most issues fun. And that, that actually, I'll say this, like that was very hard writing. That was the hard, one of the hard parts of writing the Joker story was that, it robs you of that in some ways. And I didn't realize it till I was on like the fourth or fifth issue where I was like, God, you know, I'd really like a funny scene. <laughs> I'd really like a scene to do that would be, you know, Batman being crazy badass where, um, you know, he does something and gives a great one liner. <laughs> so I missed that very much at the end. So there'll be some of that 19 and 20 have a lot of that. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you also have that, you're talking about like the, the awesome stuff and the fact that the Joker is kind of took you down this dark path. Is there, there's a lot of intense stuff. I mean, there's like the human centipede, you know, uh, tapestry <laughs> yeah. on the, hanging in the, the asylum. Batman first segment. This <laughs> uh, first sequence. First sorry. sequence. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's really you know macabre, crazy thing. Do you have like a too far kind of switch in your brain where you're writing something and you, you kind of go, okay, wait, I have to back it up, or do you just indulge all of those those kind of desires stuff to, to put in there? Yeah, sometimes DC stops me <laughs> from going farther. There have been a couple instances where I've tried to go a bit farther, not just towards the grotesque, but I think towards the violence. And I think they've been right, you know, in both occasions. That actually, that moment with the tapestry was probably the only moment in the entire thing where I was like um, a little bit like on the fence about is it going over the edge and Greg drew it and I saw it and I was like, yeah, we, we probably went over the edge here, <laughs> but it was, it was, I'm fine. You know, I'm happy with it because I love the way that he, I love the way that he did it. You know, it was more just that, um, in my mind, I think it was, it was always such a abstract concept and then you see it <laughs> brought to life and you're like, oh, that's pretty gruesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that was definitely like, I guess that's sort of pushing the boundary, I guess, of what I feel comfortable with. I, mm-hmm. I think there's maybe not tasteful, but <laughs> at least acceptable. Yeah. Now, Scott, um, on that, oh, excuse me, Steph, let me just throw in here okay. before I forget. Uh, Scott, on that, the art front, uh, is there any time you'll get the page back from Greg and there's something you didn't expect that he's come up with something on his own and challenged oh, you yeah. to bring it back or go even further? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, that that's one of the joys of working with him. I mean, the way that I like to work with pretty much anybody that I, um, you know, I'm paired with, like, with Raphael on American Vampire or Yannick on Swamp Thing or Sean now on The Wake or even with Jim, which is totally crazy on Superman, <laughs> is that, um, you know, I like to give the script and do full paneling and all of that stuff. Um, but um, to be able to say, if you have a better way of doing this page, um, I want you to go for it. And if you change the paneling, that's fine. I, I invite you to make it your own and better. And so um, Greg does that, you know, pretty often i mean almost every page there's something that's like a surprise and i literally i can think of maybe one time or maybe two times in the entire time we've worked together over like you know 18 issues together um where i've said anything to him about you know what i'd prefer this panel or something a different way i mean almost every time without a doubt it's been like it's better for his his um his reinterpretation and you know, that's one of the joys for me of being in comics is seeing your stuff just, you know, made different and better and reimagined by the people you work with. So 
I'm very lax about that stuff. I'm not, I'm not particularly, um, you know, I script pretty tightly in the way that, I mean, it says, you know, panel one close up on Batman's eyes, you know, panel two this, but it's like, if you, I always try and say what the page is about as well. So I say, for example, um, like in 17, when, um, <clears throat> when Batman is coming after the Joker and he takes the crowbar, it's like, you know, Greg, the sequence is really about readers believing that this is the moment that Batman is going to go farther than he's ever gone. Um, and he's going to either kill the Joker or, you know, allow the Joker to die in some fashion. So just whatever that you want to do that, that gives that sense of this kind of ominous, um, doomsday feeling, go for it. And then I'll panel it. And then how, whatever he thinks he can do better, given what it's about is, um, you know, uh, is, is great with me. So yeah, he changes stuff quite often. I mean, <laughs> the best examples I think are, um, uh, with, um, 17, he came up with the idea of the heart with the faces in it and that stuff in the, in the big reveal, which was totally gruesome and weird and awesome. And, um, what else in 17 did he do that was like that? He, uh, he did a couple panels that really, I loved, which, you know, Joker looking over the fire as they all burn smiling with his hands under his chin and stuff like where he adds to it that way. So and he's been just a wonderful collaborator. I mean, the thing I love about Greg is like, and I'll, I'll say this to you, to you guys, like it's sort of off the cuff, but whatever. <laughs> right. No, no, no DC people are listening. No, um, no. we'll make but, sure they don't. <laughs> you're, bl- you're banned, Dan. Yeah. You know, all of <laughs> but, um, one of the things about, you know, being a team on a book is, uh, I, 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 you know, I try and get in touch really early with the people that you're going to work with and tie in and be like, you know, we're the team on the book. And no matter what, um, you know, happens, if you have a better way of doing part of the story, let's go for it. If, you know, I have an opinion on something, let's listen to it. But when we decide on something together, that's the way it is. Meaning if editorial, um, and we've been incredibly lucky, honestly, I mean, as much as I say, like, you know, you hunker down and you guys get ready in case anything comes down the pipe. I've been really lucky on Batman and I have a great editor and Mike Martz, you know, who's been really protective of us in terms of having to change very much or have any kind of interference from, um, from anybody. Um, but that said, like you want to be a team because you want to be like in case they come and they say, well, you know what, guess what? You're going to have to use, um, you know, we're, we're doing an event and we want you to use this, this, and this, then you want to be able to say all of us on this team disagree with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're, we're in lockstep. And so there's a feeling of camaraderie there that I think really, really, um, it just, it just makes you so excited to be working on a book with the other guys. Cause you're just, you really are like, it's me and Greg, you know, and, and, and I love FCO and I've, I've loved Jonathan and, and I'm very excited for, for Danny as well. Like, but I mean, me and Greg from the beginning, it's been like, you know, we've been like, okay, brother, if you like something, I like it. And if I like something, you like, and then, you know, we'll, we'll do, for example, the turning book into Batman five, like that was a total, um, moment like this where, um, Greg came up with that idea when I was, I said to him in that sequence, the same thing I was saying, like I normally say where I was like, you know, this is really about Batman feeling completely disoriented and like the world is just sort of, you know, out of whack and spinning and he's starving and he's, he's totally at his wit's end. And Greg was like, well, what if we turn the book? And I was like, that's awesome. Let's do it. And, um, we sent this thing. Did I tell you this when I spoke to you last time or no? I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. it would come out. No, yeah. no. 
okay, so 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 we sent this long thing to DC that was like, let's please do this, and they said no. It's going to confuse people, you know, when they read the book. And Greg wrote this wonderfully impassioned thing back that was like, you know, you have to be foolish once in a while, like you know, and you have to you have to take risks. And so they they and I said, yeah, I agree with that. Let's be fools, you know, <laughs> let's do it. And um, DC caved and said, sure, let's do it. And to their credit, you know what I mean? It's not like they're these evil dudes that are like those bastards. It's like they. <laughs> They agreed and said, let's give it a shot, which was awesome of them. And so we did it. <laughs> and then like, um, we got the proofs back a couple months um, later. And uh, you know, when I get the PDF from them, it reads vertically. You just scroll down through it. So I was like, look at this. And they were so worried about it. Like, what the fuck? Looks great. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and then uh, Greg saw it too, and he was like, whatever. You know, it looks terrific. They were so worried. And then like comps came. And I looked at it and I was like, holy shit, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a misprint because you had to turn the whole book. And I was like, oh my God, they messed it up. It's, it's like totally confusing. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh God, this is actually the way we wanted it. <laughs> but I went on Twitter and I was like, oh, you know, um, Batman five comes out this week and I just want you guys to know that everything in it is deliberate. And then Greg called me up like two minutes later, he wrote me and he's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, don't be a pussy. He was like, if they don't, if they don't get it, they don't get it. And it's fine. Like, let them not get it. And I was like, ah, okay, sure. So I like, took down the tweet, deleted it. I was like, you know, whatever, let, whatever will be, will be <laughs> this issue. And then literally half an hour later, he got the issues and I saw him go up on Twitter and be like, there's a misprint in Batman five. <laughs> and I was like, I called him. I was like, dude, take your own advice. Take your own advice. You know, I was like, no, cause we were both so startled that you actually turned the book. Cause we had, you know, we hadn't actually, um, really I think uh understood how weird it would look but that's what I mean like he he came up with that and then we, we really stuck by each other with it and they let us do it you know so this is a crazy long answer to your question but the idea, the thing with Greg is that he's really like my brother in arms and we didn't get along at first I know I've said it before but we didn't it was pretty funny like uh did I tell you this last time or no I think you did, yeah, about the, yeah. The, the, the way you butted heads at first. We did, we yeah. did, but now he really is like one of my, literally like one of my best friends outside of comics as well. Like we we chose two cons this year just to go to so that we could go with our wives and go travel and and uh, together and stuff and both in Chicago in August and then hopefully in Dublin in the fall, so. Very cool. Um, Stephanie, we actually had a listener question about Greg Capullo, right? Yeah, uh, Bryn Hemstreet was kind of curious about uh, – which page you're most proud of that Greg drew from the death of the family arc? Wow. That's tough. There's so many. Um, my favorite page, I would have to say, I think honestly, my favorite page, my favorite page would probably be, I think in issue 14 where Batman faces off with Joker for the first time on the bridge in a splash mm -hmm. because he decided to make it so distanced between them and give that kind of really interesting architectural feel to the bridge where one of the things that we were trying to evoke was the sense that um, Joker is almost like a kind of Peter Pan figure with Batman and saying, don't you want to go back to the way it was when you were young before you had this family that you accumulated and you had to worry about all the time? Well, let me make that happen. And there's some kind of sense of that to me in that, that image of this guy who's standing there at the end of this kind of interesting path saying, here I am. you know." And there's something almost weirdly whimsical about him even in the way that it's constructed i just love that page so I, i'd probably say that just because it's such an interesting decision that he made to kind of pull back and make it distance so it has this kind of cold 
feeling and at the same time it's foreboding and it's, it has this kind of elegance to it. I don't know. I love that page. So I guess that would be my favorite. I would have to say. Cool. I mean, Bob, you mentioned on our show earlier in the week, well, your, your favorite panel on the whole book was. Is, is that. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole bridge sequence there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, oh, it's a, it's a great sequence. And we also, we were talking about, you know, we talked about Greg's work a little bit and we were, you know, saying the big moments are great, but it's amazing how he really captures those small moments. And we talked about oh, the, the, the hug with the, the hug Damien. with Damien at the end of issue 17, you know, got us both really, really in the heart. Yeah. He really, he's, there's nobody better than him. I mean, he does this like incredible bombastic stuff. He does really creepy stuff. I mean, dark stuff. And then he also is incredibly good at these emotional, very, very intimate moments with characters where you, he's the expressions on their faces, the way they react to each other. It's so, transparent on the page you know he's just he's really is a magician i mean i'm i couldn't be like <laughs> like more grateful to be paired with him he's just the best that's awesome <laughs> yes i have uh two quick questions we have so many great listener questions i just want to get these two in there real quick uh with all the mystery and all the hype that was going on about what was underneath the dinner plates was there ever any plans to have it be something different oh. than what it turned out to be no it was always that i mean i'm pretty i'm I'm really pretty maniacal about planning things way ahead. And so everything in the story was, was pretty much set out from before we began. I mean, I hand in these long things to DC that sort of explain the whole story basically issue by issue. And so that, that really was what it always was. Um, the only thing there, I mean, there, I can't think of anything that really changed from the beginning. Um, there are a couple little things and well, there are a couple things like I did cons- considered a little bit more mutilation here and there, <laughs> but I think overall we just thought that in the end that would sort of cheapen the story, you know, um, right. that to leave physical scars on some of the characters and stuff like that would just feel like we did it just to do it. So, you know, I, I was hoping that the braver, and for lack of a better word, like the braver way to end it would just be to go straight in and have it be something that was oddly quiet and unsettling that way, as opposed to mm-hmm. something that was, you know, oh my God, Batman now has missing a missing a hand, or you know what I mean, <laughs> or this one's like you know has no legs or whatever. <laughs> nice. And uh, my one other question is: uh, this is more of a personal curiosity. I want to know what inspired the uh, two-headed lion cub and if it has any kind of significance or uh, like the duality between the Joker and Batman. Well, it, it does have supposed to be the duality of Batman and the Joker, definitely. But it's also the, the, the impetus, like as weird as it sounds, was to try and create the sense at the beginning of Menace that um, the Joker is responding to or, or, or even um, – sort of capitalizing on where he believes that that essentially the city like something's rotten in the state of Denmark with the city and so he is quoting these or or pointing to these things where he says there are these almost signs that things are wrong like you have this family and it's the wrong family and things are backwards so it's raining constantly the rivers are running backwards because they got blocked up the two-headed cub was meant to be like this abomination that's born like the lions born in the streets you know Mm -hmm. and the idea of the kind of um uh, bad omens, you know, of the past and stuff like that. So, um, it was meant to be that, like both a kind of, um, omen, uh, that things are, are abominable. Um, and also something that's meant to sort of speak to the kind of two headed monster that's Batman and Joker. Very cool. Very cool. (laughs) Um, speaking of like significance in 
the book and all that, uh, we had a question from two listeners, Nowhere Man 182 and Spruston Berry, and they just kind of wanted to know a little bit about whether there was any significance to the Joker wearing the Joe's garage suit um, and then in the first few issues only to revert to his purple suit a bit later. Well, you know, the the idea of the Joe's garage thing, that was just to be funny that it says Joe's garage, like Joe, you know, and, you know, the, it wasn't, it wasn't an homage to Zappa or anything like that as much as people mm-hmm. love that to think that it was like a musical um, nod, but it was meant to be that we wanted to create something where it was like Joker isn't, he's not preening. He's not there for ceremony this time. He's there because he's going to work. And so that idea of the mechanic suit with these really creepy things that always change in the belt. So you'll see a saw and you'll see a knife and you'll see a monkey's paw and you'll see this. You don't know what the hell he's going to use, you know, Um, that that was meant to be something that was different, but would be um, standard across the whole thing where he's he's really there to um, (laughs) to labor and make this thing happen. And then when he puts on the suit, we wanted to save it for the end where he really stands on ceremony and says, I am. This is me. This is I've created this for you as your loyal servant and now let's dine, you know, at the end. So it was a decision definitely deliberate to hold off until the last issue to have him put on the purple suit that way. Okay. Cool. Um and another question from just a listener here, Dylan Jones. He wanted to know a little bit about uh the fan reaction. Obviously Batman fans are probably some of the most loyal fans out there in comics. Um, and he wanted to know if their reaction or speculation during the event influenced it at all. Well, it definitely, I hear it, you know what I mean? Meaning like, do I have like sleepless nights where I'm like, did I do the wrong thing? Sure. <laughs> My wife will tell you, I mean, I'm, I get very concerned about making you guys happy, you know, and I, I want to write things that you like, but at the end of the day, um, I can't change what I'm going to do from the beginning. I and mean, I've never changed anything at the end, except literally with this story, there was just a little bit more mutilation that wouldn't have meant anything, but would just be for the sake of, I thought when I really looked at it for the sake of just, you know, having something that could continue that you'd be like, wow, he, he, um, you know, hurt this character this way or something that I just felt was cheap. That's all. I looked at it and I said, it's, it's not worth it. You know, um, other than that, um, it really is like I set out from the beginning and just make a path and it's going to a certain place and that's it. Like the same with Court of Owls and same with Detective and I always get to that place like, you know, and to be fair, like, you know, I was pointing out my friend and my friend James, you know, who writes the backups and who's Red Hood and everything and one of my closest friends now, he's a former student, like I was telling, I was he's like, he, he gets ready for it. Cause he's like, as we get to the final issue and we're writing it and it's about to come out, he like, he's totally teases me and emails me. He's like, when am I going to get the call? It's like, you know, did we do the right thing? Did we do the right thing? Did we do the right thing <laughs> and stuff? Cause yeah, it, mean, it means a lot to me that you guys enjoy them, but I won't change anything out of worry that you won't, um, I'm, you know, in that way, I hope that the DNA, um, that I, I bring to it is one of a fan in the way that I hope that my choices, even though they're very personal to me, are are, are going to gel with what you guys like on Batman. But I can't say that I will compromise them, you know, even if I think you won't like them. And I hope that the record that we've put out so far <laughs> shows that, like using bringing Jim Gordon's son back as a psychopath and, <laughs> and detective and then bringing Batman's possible brother back in Court of Owls, you know, and then in this one essentially um 
not going for what you would expect, I think, with the, the death of Alfred or something like that, that I, I worried that at the end of the day, the story would just be about that, you know, and then the character would come back. I mean, if I killed Alfred, Alfred would be back and then you know he would, mm-hmm. you know, and and what would it be except a story that killed Alfred, yeah. in my opinion, or if I killed the Joker, I mean, that to me would be, you know, if I killed him, killed him, you know, it, here for me, he mm. does, he, it is a figurative death and that <laughs> Batman does choose to make him drop, make, make Joker, make him drop him. And that is over the line is what you've seen. And, but at the same time, um, to see Joker like beheaded or stabbed or killed, again, it just doesn't, it doesn't speak to me. It's the same way. I just, I totally understand if it does to fans out there and I completely respect that, but I'm just, I, that's what I mean. Like, I hope it doesn't anger you that I'm going this way, but I wouldn't change it. Even if I thought that 90% of the fans thought that that would be a better ending. Cause I just feel like it wouldn't in my heart of hearts, you know? So. Great. I mean, Stephanie, you know, Scott you used a lot of uh, characters here, obviously from the bat family, but we had a question from a listener about another character that kind of wasn't used in this final issue. Right. Stephanie. Yeah, uh, Hiro Caillou. Sorry if I'm saying your Twitter name wrong. But anyways, um, they wanted to know, Catwoman's association association <laughs> with the family has been batted around the books with no real answer. But how do you see her? That's interesting. I mean, I haven't given her a tremendous amount of thought in terms of the family just because I've been so wrapped up in the Joker stuff. But I've told Mike Marks that I'm really interested in writing her <laughs> at times. I mean, I love Catwoman, you know, as a one of the more interesting um, characters in comics, you know? So um, I guess how I would say her family, I mean, the way that I, the way that I worked with the tie-ins was to try and just make sure that the Joker was behaving the way he would in ours so that he wasn't about something outside of what he was about in Batman. And then to let the people, let the writers do whatever they wanted. Um, My, what I really responded to with what Anne was thinking and what worked with what I was um, thinking about in terms of regardless of what she did in the story, but in terms of the core itself, like what spoke to me was the note and what I, what I would say about Catwoman, I guess then is that for me, she has the potential to um, kind of break Batman's heart more than anybody, you know, and that um, as a character, that's, um, She's, I don't consider her part of the family, but I consider her someone who has a story that um, is constantly always untold with him. You know what I mean? That, that makes for a really, really powerful relationship, um, aside from just being a fascinating character in her own right. I mean, if you're just asking about her in terms of Batman, you know, um, what I think of her in relation to Batman is aside from just being a great character in her own right. It's that she, yeah, she could break his heart. You know, she's the one character, I'll tell you this, like, I have no interest, and this is just me, but I don't have any interest in creating a romantic relationship for Bruce Wayne. It just doesn't, it's not there for me, and, you know, I'm sorry for the people that really want me to, or make a a serious girlfriend, or whatever. But I'm just much more interested in his relationship to the city. Um, But Catwoman is the one character who I would really write, not in terms of, like, you know, a uh, flirtation, but I think that there's a really deep, interesting connection there that could be fascinating to explore at some point. Great. Awesome. Um, so we're getting close to the end here, wrapping stuff up. I, I want to okay. ask, um, 
you know, obviously you got some stuff coming down the pipe pretty soon, stuff that we're all very excited about. And, you know, we know you can't say anything about it really and we don't want to hear about it because we don't want to be surprised. But what is the, what has been like writing Superman? It's been really wild. And Jim Lee is pretty amazing to work with. And that if, you know, if we were talking earlier about the, the way that writers, I mean, artists will surprise you with stuff. But mm-hmm. I can promise you, you haven't seen anything, <laughs> anything like what he's doing in, in the first couple issues of this book um, before from him or you haven't seen it, you know, I haven't seen it in his, in his stuff in a a long time, just in terms of um, the experimentation and that kind of stuff. I loved his art in justice league and all that too. So it's not about what's better. It's just, I just mean that with this book, he's taking, um, he's taking the pages and doing things and, and um, paneling and all kinds of stuff that is surprising me that um, is making me really, really excited for you guys to see it. So I'm still really trying to get over my, um, my, my geek out element with Jim, which is really hard. It's like the last hurdle for me, I think in comics is like getting over my Jim Lee geek um, thing, but it's still really hard. I still get a page from him. I got one today and it's the first reaction is always just like, I squee, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, send me a page and that's it. And so I'm I'm trying to get over it. I will someday, but it's, it's hard because, you know, I still have my X-Men number one and all that kind of stuff. You know, I have all the covers, the whole, the whole thing where it like makes the big, the bigger picture and everything. So, you know, I was looking at him at my folks house at Thanksgiving and stuff and I couldn't believe I still had him, but I do. So, um, he's amazing. And the story, I'm really, really proud of it. Um, you'll get, um, a peek at it really soon. And it's, uh, it's going, it's going really well. I mean, I, the difference is there, you know, it's definitely not, um, the darkness of Gotham, like it does feel strange to kind of commute from Gotham to Metropolis. And then it's like all sunny and, (laughs) and shiny and bright. Um, but I mean, I hope that you'll see that the level of darkness in terms of the psychological challenge to Clark and the things that are, um, he has to kind of contend with or as gripping or as harrowing for him as the stuff that you've seen Bruce contend with in Batman. Um, so, you know, I'm really proud of it. I'm excited. It has a lot to do with, um, what I think makes him great as a character. So we'll see. I'm very, very nervous about it and very (laughs) excited about it. I really hope you guys like it. So, well, we're quite excited to read it. And the other thing too, is you have the wake coming with uh, Sean Murphy. Yeah. I was working on that today all day. Um, I'm crazy, crazy excited about that. It's like a a mini series that, um, is definitely different than anything I've ever done. So you'll, you'll know it from page one when you open it, that you'll be like, you know, this is very different than, than what you've seen from me or Sean really. Um, but it's a kind of horror sci-fi, um, uh, story with, um, uh, this, that focuses on this discovery that's made at the bottom of the ocean that kind of begins to explain a lot of myths of the sea. And it's, it's tied, it sort of deals with all of the folklore dating back through history about the oceans and, um, about evolution and all this kind of stuff. So I'm really, really proud of it. You know, it's, and it's totally weird. It's definitely different than, <laughs> yeah, it's, I've said it, I said it before, but it's different than anything I've done. So I hope you guys like that too. I'm trying to flex my muscles a bit, you know, and try different things. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I want to, I don't know, I'm, I want to take risks and try and, I don't know, try and, you know, and go out on a limb and maybe fail or not. But and I don't want to, I want to, I see I'm still teaching, you know, which I have like no business doing anymore. But, um, <laughs> I love I love seeing what students turn in and how um, 
the golden rule of the class is essentially that they have to kind of write the comic that they'd like to read more than any other, no matter what it is. And you see them come in with these things that are really personal sometimes and other times just totally political and other times just a straight up superhero. And, you know, it makes you go home and be like, I'm a hypocrite if I don't try and do the same thing in some way. So I'm trying hard to, you know, stay hungry and just do things that I haven't done before in addition to the stuff that I love and doing. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, you can definitely see, you know, not necessarily in the tone or your style, but in that desire to, you know, keep changing and to keep flexing your muscles and to really do something different. You can definitely see, you know, that Grant Morrison is a mentor of yours. Cause that's kind of what he's known for. In, in a yeah. Well, that's, way. I mean, that's the thing that I, I've always, I mean, he's one of the guys I respect most in comics for that reason that, you know, and there are things that I read by him that I don't understand or that I don't, um, I don't, um, immediately connect with and stuff. And there are other things by him that I connect with so immediately and deeply, you know, as well. But what I always know I'm going to get when I open up a comic is like an uncompromising vision from him. And to me, that's something that's incredibly inspirational all the time, regardless of whether I connect with that particular issue or not it's like a, something that makes me, um, really, really, uh, really, really inspired when I sit down. So if, you know, that, that idea of just, you know, you know, I, some of the other writers were making fun of me not long ago when we were hanging out and just saying, when's the, when are you going to get on, you know, um, one of the sites and just be like, the next arc is going to be the biggest, craziest thing. We do. <laughs> Instead of just being like, no, we're just going to do some small ones for a while. But I think it honestly is just that, you know, I, I really feel like I, I, I almost write as though I expect to get fired, you know, after the next thing. And I can't believe I'm getting to write these characters. And I feel like if you're going to write them, you might as well, like, I don't know, you, you have to just like go as big as you can. Not in terms of sales. That's not what I mean. But in terms of like, you know, Joker was an incredibly personal story to me where it really is about being a dad, as weird as that sounds. You know, it's about looking at your kids and loving them all the time and your family and then also thinking to yourself. Um, and you don't need to have kids to feel this way. You could have just, you know, a loved one or a family in general just thinking like, God, I wish I could stop caring about these people for a little bit because I'm always worried about them and always thinking this. And, you know, Joker kind of hears that and says, well, I heard your wish and now I'll make it true by killing all of them. You know, and um, but the point is, it's it's something that is is really um, is really, you know, intimately connected to my own interests and my own um, my own feelings and all that stuff. And that's what I mean by going big. You have to go where your interests lie, even if it's going to be upsetting or even if it's going to be something that, you know, is more than you bite off more than you can chew. That's the way I feel. So I, I don't I can't I I I don't think I'll ever like get on one of these characters and not try and do a big, <laughs> a big arc for better or worse. You'll get a few small ones like in between. You get a one shot in eighteen, then you'll get nineteen and twenty, which are a fun two parter. But then we go into a giant one again. So, you know, it's just um, I guess it's just how I'm wired. I just get really, really, really excited to try and I don't know to just do the thing that you think, God, if I only got one chance to write this character, this would be my epic story. <laughs> well, awesome. So. I think that's a, a great way to, to finish off the interview. Scott, yeah, thank you so much. You gave us more than the time that does. we could have expected. Um, <laughs> guys, Batman number 17 is on the shelves right now. I, I guess next month is your last Swamp Thing. That's right? true. Yeah, it is. I'm really, please go pick it up because it really is Yannick's best art and it does have, 
the new status quo of the series. It has a lot of shocking stuff that kind of changed things around. Cool. Awesome. Stuff around, yeah. And Scott, thank you so much again. Um, we're going to say goodbye here, but hang on for a second, you know, online. So we'll say our real goodbyes off the air. Sure. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Again. All right. Thank you so much. So for Steve, Bob and Stephanie, thank you so much. And until next time, that's been talking comics. <laughs>